A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Basha here and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. Now, at the beginning of the year, we released a big investigation called the Westminster Accounts, which was tracking the money coming in and out of British politics. And it was revealing of the way that money changes the flow of Westminster. But one person's accounts caught our eye in particular. Since leaving office last year, he's declared £5 million in income. And yet for most of this parliament, he was hamstrung, unable to bring in much outside of his salary. That's because the man that I'm talking about is, of course, Boris Johnson. When he was prime minister, he couldn't really earn above his £164,000 salary. But since he's resigned, well, it's a very different story. Our interest started in January after a story broke that a distant cousin of Boris Johnson's had guaranteed him a line of credit, £800,000 to be exact. And it's a story that involved two other men, a senior civil servant and the now chairman of the BBC. And it got us wondering what else did we and everyone else miss in Boris Johnson's finances? And has anyone else been sucked into his quest to shore up his own money? And how exactly has he amassed millions so quickly since leaving office? Well, my colleague Kat Nealon, Tortoise's political editor, has been investigating. And this, what you're about to hear, is the first in a three-part series called Boris Johnson, The Six Million Pound Man. On a London street earlier this year, one of the most familiar voices in the country was responding to a familiar problem. He was in trouble over money. This is a load of complete nonsense, absolute nonsense. Let me just, let me just tell you, Richard Sharp is a good and a wise man, uh, but he knows absolutely nothing about my personal finances. I can tell you that for, for 100% ding-dang sure. It's Saturday, January 23rd. Boris Johnson is just back from Davos, where he's been reminding the world of his hero status in Ukraine. He's wearing a Ukrainian beanie. What he says about Richard Sharp isn't true. Richard Sharp is chairman of the BBC and he knows quite a bit about Johnson's personal finances. He knows that for much of Boris Johnson's time as Prime Minister, they were a mess. And he's not the only one. He was desperate. That much I know. People around him were always saying, and then there's the money. It was a blemish in the first year after the victory. Boris would have his head in his hands about his domestic situation. What am I going to do? It was known that he lived a chaotic life. 
The camera crews outside the house in London on January 23rd are there because of a report that Richard Sharp helped set up a loan facility for Johnson. An £800,000 line of credit guaranteed by a distant Canadian cousin. This happened in late 2020, when Richard Sharp was being considered for his appointment to the BBC, a matter which Boris Johnson had to approve. It was not a good look. In the wake of the reports, Richard Sharp was summoned to explain himself to Parliament. Over 90 excruciating minutes, he said repeatedly he had never given Boris Johnson any financial advice, nor had he been asked for it. But that wasn't the point. It was never the point. Johnson didn't want advice. He wanted money. This is the story of a politician incapable of living within his means, but talented beyond measure at finding people to help him live beyond them. It's the story of how that dependence on others sullied him and them and his most senior advisers and the office of Prime Minister to which he seems to want to return. All of which leads to one simple question. Just who is funding Boris Johnson? I'm Kat Nealon and this is Boris Johnson, the £6 million man, a slow newscast from Tortoise. For all the years he was in government, there were questions about Boris Johnson's relationship with the truth. But there were questions too about his relationship with money. We want to address these questions by tracing the people who have backed him financially, who they are and what they gave. We're not doing this in isolation. For nearly a year, a small group of us at Tortoise have been investigating the money going into politics and politicians in the UK. The result is the Westminster Accounts database, where every political donation since 2016 is itemised and searchable. It tells you that Johnson has earned £6.1 million this Parliament over and above his salary. It tells you his biggest sources of money are the Harry Walker Speakers Agency in New York, Christopher Harborn, an investor and conservative donor based in Thailand, and HarperCollins, his publisher. But in all the time we spent on the Westminster accounts, there was one source of funds we never saw, that £800,000 line of credit. It was secret. It was supposedly from family, but it was enabled by Johnson's own cabinet secretary to maintain the falsehood that he was living on his salary, just like the health workers he stepped out to applaud through the pandemic. The Prime Minister's salary is £164,000. But the time when Johnson could fund his life on £164,000 a year passed long ago. As a backbencher, he was able to earn an extra £275,000 a year from a column in The Telegraph, one he called Chicken Feed. In one year, between resigning as Foreign Secretary and becoming Prime Minister, he took in £1.2 million besides his salary in earnings and donations. In Downing Street, he drew in donors and enablers to go on living large at their expense. Since leaving Downing Street, he's been given £1 million by Christopher Harborn, six times the previous biggest personal donation ever in British politics. He's been advanced $2.5 million by the Harry Walker Agency for speeches as yet ungiven to audiences unknown. He's declared £5 million in outside earnings and more than £6 million over the course of this parliament. So to be clear, these seven-figure sums are going to an individual, not a party... So far, the big financial scandals of the Johnson years have been over relatively small sums for curtains, sofas, holidays, wallpaper. We'll get to them. But the big sums are scandalous too. 
No other British ex-Prime Minister has made so much so fast, with so many questions left unanswered about who's funding him and why. Many of those questions revolve around the cousin and the credit line. The cousin's name is Sam Blythe. He went to Uppingham, a private boarding school in England, and then to Cambridge. He's tall, charming, handsome and rich. When he was younger, according to a former lover, he had skin as perfect as a peach, if a peach could tan. He lost a lot of money on exotic travel ventures before marrying into a big Canadian catering dynasty when things looked up. Sam Blythe shares a grandfather with Johnson's father, Stanley. And in September 2020, he saw an opportunity to help Stanley's famous son. It's worth noting here that Sam Blythe and Stanley Johnson have kept in touch over the years. I have nothing but praise for Sam Blythe, a fine man. He and I share a great-grandfather, so we're pretty close. He's from my mother's side of the family, the Williams's side. The Williams side married David Blythe. Sam Blythe and Boris Johnson's younger brother, Joe, are also connected by more than family. Until recently, they both sat on the board of a Canadian student recruitment company. But when Sam Blythe wanted to reach out to Boris Johnson, he did not do so via Stanley or Joe, but via Richard Sharp. The starting point uh, in, in the way you described it is my long-standing relationship and friendship with Mr Blythe. Um, he's somebody I met after he'd left university um, and after I'd left university some 40 years ago. Um, so Mr Blythe is a personal friend of mine who I've known for some time. Um, as a result of press reports that he had read in September, um, he raised with me at that time his concern that his cousin, the Prime Minister, um, was reported in these press reports to have some difficulties. Um, Mr Blythe raised me the fact that he was interested in, in feeling uh, about whether he, should he do something to help. Uh, he raised that with me at a di private dinner uh, at his house. At the time, Richard Sharp was working for the then Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, one ex-Goldman Sachs banker working for another. That put him in 11 Downing Street for much of the time. When Sam Blythe inquired again about getting money to Johnson, Richard Sharp walked the request along the corridors connecting Downing Street to the Cabinet Office, and there he sat down with the most senior civil servant in the land, Sir Simon Case. It helps to know a little at this point about how Simon Case came to be appointed. Johnson promoted him to Cabinet Secretary in August 2020. He was barely 40 at the time, the youngest person ever to head the civil service. Simon Case had previously worked as Permanent Secretary in Number 10 during the first few months of the pandemic. Before that, he'd worked in the Royal Household, including as Private Secretary to Prince William, which, sources say, is key to understanding his role in Downing Street. His name had been put forward by Dominic Cummings, who at that point was Johnson's chief political advisor. And people who were in Downing Street at the time say Cummings chose him explicitly because he was pliable. Remember, Dominic Cummings was at the peak of his power in Downing Street, still planning to break up the blob, his word for the civil service, and shake up the machinery of government from within. A former Number 10 insider explains. Dom's attitude to most senior civil servants is that they are very limited people, but they are necessary. So the thinking was, let's get the one who is least likely to stick up for themselves, and Simon was probably that. 
He was outside the various civil service dynasties, which made him more malleable. That was part of his appeal. Malleable, maybe, but not stupid. When Richard Sharp met Simon Case, he mentioned, for propriety's sake, that he was in the process of applying for the chairmanship of the BBC. Richard Sharp says he told Simon Case he could therefore take no further part in the Blythe business. We have to take his word for it. There was no minute taker, just the two of them. Simon Case agreed and told the ethics team in the Cabinet Office about the job application. It later turned out that Richard Sharp had already met Johnson and told him not only about applying for the BBC job, but also about Sam Blythe's approach. At this point, the ethics team wrote to Johnson telling him to stop talking to Richard Sharp about his finances. By then, Simon Case had given Richard Sharp permission to give Sam Blythe his number. Blythe got in touch with Simon Case. The line of credit was established, but it remained secret for many months. Now, those who support and defend Boris Johnson say there is nothing to see here. They say it's perfectly acceptable for a donation from a family member not to be declared. Indeed, the shrug of the shoulder our queries enlisted suggests this is common knowledge. But that's not the case. There's no explicit rule exempting declarations on the basis of family. Indeed, some have questioned the validity of the advice given to the then Prime Minister. Here's what Alex Thomas, a former civil servant now at the Institute for Government, told us. I was a little bit mystified by it because you're trying to sort of get your head around what will have happened, you know, the, uh, if the Cabinet Secretary and the Propriety and Ethics team in the Cabinet Office were giving advice to Boris Johnson about how to handle all of these things. Did they suggest that because it was a family relationship that changes things? Now, in terms of the operation of the code, I think you could just about mount an argument that in very close, between very close families, so, you know, a husband and a wife. I don't think the rules are really designed to handle these more distant family relationships. And certainly to my mind, it would be, it would be really stretching it a bit to say that a cousin, you know, no matter how distant really, was sufficiently close that a, a loan or a credit facility from that cousin didn't create at least the perception of a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing about this is, again, trying to think through what, advice the proprietary ethics team might have been giving is, was it on commercial terms? And again, one of the things that that you think about uh, when considering how these things should be handled or declared is, well, is this creating a benefit beyond what the Prime Minister at the time could have got on commercial terms? And uh, again, maybe you could just about argue and say, well, if this was on commercial terms genuinely, then it didn't create any additional conflict of interest or, or, or anything. But even then, there's still the perception problem. And the question in my mind of, you know, if it genuinely was on commercial terms, why didn't Boris Johnson get a commercial terms <laughs> loan from a, a bank then or, or, or whatever? So there must, you know, if there was any sort of perception of benefit to Boris Johnson at the time. I think it really should declare, but it's a, you know, it's a murky area in that, that ministerial code. Yeah, another example of a sort of convention being tested or bent and sort of being found wanting, right? The, yes. the rules well, just aren't there because they weren't anticipated. And it comes back to this fundamental point that it's the Prime Minister who interprets the ministerial code anyway, so the civil servants can give advice. I certainly think my personal view is that the advice in this situation is that the at the very least, the perception of a conflict of interest means that that loan is you know, inadvisable and certainly should be declared. There are two potential conflicts of interest here. The first is money going to the Prime Minister, about which we still know very little. The second is Richard Sharp's appointment to lead the BBC. 
He was a man with close connections to the government, thanks to his work for Rishi Sunak and a £400,000 donation to the Conservative Party, but one with little experience of news or entertainment and none of the broadcaster he would head. And yet, while conversations were taking place about the loan, his appointment was approved. Boris Johnson had use of the credit facility from February 2021. Richard Sharp was announced as the preferred candidate to lead the BBC one month earlier. The story of the Sam Blythe credit line broke in the Sunday Times two years later. It prompted something close to a mutiny at the BBC. Staff there looked at the sequence of events and concluded that their chairman had smoothed his path to the job, not just with £400,000 of his own money, but with a connection to Sam Blythe and his £800,000 guarantee. It also prompted fury in the Select Committee of the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. The committee's members should have been told about the credit line, but they hadn't been they summoned Richard Sharp to explain himself. He said he sought the meetings with Simon Case specifically to address perceptions of a conflict of interest. It was to tell him that Mr Blythe was interested... Was, was, I had spoken to Mr Blythe. Mr Blythe wanted to explore ways that he could help the Prime Minister um, and, um, I re- uh, and, and therefore he asked to be introduced to the Cabinet Secretary... And then at that meeting, I raised with Mr Blythe the fact that I had submitted my application to be the chair of the BBC and that therefore, to avoid a conflict or perception of conflict, I could have, and we agreed, no further participation in whatever transpired whatsoever, and I didn't. So, uh, you, yes. so y- y- you acted as a sort of introduction agency? That, well, that's, well, well, exactly what I did was ensured that uh, due process and proprietary was followed Damien Green, the committee's Conservative chair, was not quite convinced. All of that seems fine, but but I'm still not clear why you needed to go and have a meeting with Simon Case to say there's this guy who wants to help the Prime Minister and there may be propriety issues, so you want to talk to him. Because that that seems overblown. Richard Sharp may have alerted Simon Case to a potential perception of a conflict of interest, but he had also alerted Case to the offer of money. And there's something else. Richard Sharp claims in a statement to Tortoise that it was explicitly agreed at the meeting with Simon Case that, by not being party to the matter going forward, he would be excluded from any conflict. Richard Sharp took that to mean he didn't have to tell anyone else about the loan. Others begged to differ. Among them, the SNP MP, John Nicholson. You cannot be considered if you fail to declare any conflict of interest. Clearly, this was a conflict of interest. It continues any issues on your personal or professional history that could, if you were appointed, cause embarrassment or public confidence to be jeopardised must be disclosed. This clearly causes the BBC embarrassment. Why didn't you disclose it? Richard Sharp refers John Nicholson to the meeting with Simon Case. He does so again and again. John Nicholson notes that Richard Sharp applied for a BBC board position before without success. What do you think the difference was between your failed application then and your application now following the, um, the huge facility that you um, helped uh, the Prime Minister with? Ouch. Richard Sharp says he didn't help with the facility. But still, it's worth listening to one more broadside from John Nicholson, not least because he lists three times Sharp should have mentioned the loan and didn't. What appalls 
I think, so many BBC staff, is that you got this job with no BBC experience. Mm -hmm. They knew about the vast donations to the Tory party that you'd given, but they didn't know about the £800,000, something that you withheld from the interview panel, the DCMS permanent secretary, and this committee. And I think it leaves the impression so much of this is deeply establishment. It's PALs appointing PALs, donating money to PALs, uh, and, and I think, as I said in the chamber, it, it, it rather leaves the impression um, that it's all a bit, it's all a bit banana, Republican cosy. In the end, Richard Sharp and the Labour MP Rupert Huck appear to join forces in throwing Simon Case under the Whitehall bus. He says he took significant comfort from his meeting with Case that the question of disclosure had been resolved. She says... But it feels like now it's turned into a, a, a fixer for the PM that you can go and meet him behind the bike sheds without it being minuted. Boris Johnson, the politician, has been described as reaching parts other politicians can't. This is a different Johnson effect at work on those who seek to help him. It diminishes them. One person who knows him calls him a corrupter and a degrader. Last week, BBC journalists voted overwhelmingly for Richard Sharp to resign, and senior civil servants have paid Simon Case the same compliment. As for Johnson himself, he's on manoeuvres again, hoping to emulate his beloved Winston Churchill and enter Downing Street for a second time. Thanks to the generosity of those who believe in the Johnson brand, he's building a war chest to do precisely this, whilst also getting richer than he's ever been before. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. He has always spent someone else's money, whether it was when he was editor of The Spectator, Mayor of London, or now. He has always had the expectation that someone would turn up and bail him out. He realised early on that he was a brand that would generate money, a kind of macabreish, something will turn up kind of belief. Boris was always of the view that if I get to shit, I'll write some books, which is also very like Churchill. And of course, he had a massive cross subsidy from Marina. 
Marina Wheeler is a successful barrister and was Johnson's wife for 25 years. They divorced in 2020, ending the cross-subsidy. As Prime Minister, he was barred from the side hustles, the columns, the speeches, the book advances that had funded his life as a backbench MP. He had an expensive grown-up family and a new one with his girlfriend, Carrie Simmons. But the advisor was right. Someone did always turn up and bail him out. Meet the man who spent a fortune at the last election. He cropped up in our files in relation to financial trading. But that is not what makes Christopher Harborn interesting. Christopher Harborn is not what you call a household name. In fact, it turns out he has a Thai alter ego, Chakrit Sakankrit, and Thai citizenship. But he has also quietly become one of the biggest political donors of our time. He's a British-born, Bangkok-based businessman and crypto lobbyist who in 2001 started giving smallish sums, averaging £15,000 a year, to the Conservative Party. That changed in 2019, when he gave more than £6 million to the Brexit Party, including £3 million in the run-up to the general election, in which the party backed away from contesting Tory seats. At the time, a Brexit Party source described Christopher Harborn as a gentle and diffident chap who'd been playing a limited role in the election campaign so far. The big thing he's done is bought us a really good coffee machine, the source told The Times. In total, he's donated more than £10 million to the now rebranded Reform Party. But back in 2020, his dual identities caused a stir after they were highlighted in a BBC Panorama programme. He gave the Brexit Party almost £10 million in the run-up to last year's election. £10 million in our system is a huge political donation. I mean, it's a huge political donation to any party. You need, in, a, in any legal system, to know who you're dealing with in a way that's reliable and enables you to make an assessment of them as a, as a person who's appropriate to deal with. But things changed after Boris Johnson swept to victory with his pledge to get Brexit done. Christopher Harborn switched back to the Conservatives, donating £500,000 in February 2022. This was the second highest donation received by the Tories in the first quarter of that torrid year. This is where Christopher Harborn's second interest, the world of cryptocurrency, begins to appear important. Two months later, the government announced its intention to turn the UK into a global hub for the crypto industry. That raised eyebrows amongst those in the know, not least because the Bank of England had recently been warning about crypto's risks. In April, then City Minister John Glenn gave a speech at the Innovate Finance Global Summit, setting out the government's desire to the UK to become the very best place in the world to start and scale cryptocurrencies. Them's the breaks, as Johnson said, on leaving Downing Street. Indeed, for good or ill. Two months after Boris Johnson had begrudgingly left number 10, Christopher Harborn stunned Westminster with a donation of £1 million to the office of Boris Johnson, the biggest single donation in the history of British politics. No one knows what strings, if any, were attached, but Harborn has an explicit hardline Brexit agenda and a fortune built on crypto. Before Harborn, Johnson was bailed out by another enthusiastic Brexiteer, Lord Bamford, the billionaire chairman of the JCB Digger Empire. Since September last year, the Johnsons have been living rent-free at a £20 million house in one of the UK's most expensive streets. In Boris Johnson's register of interests, the value of the Knightsbridge home owned by Lady Carol Bamford has been estimated as £1,000 a month. 
but according to the Mirror, which broke the story, a similar home is being offered nearby for £30,000. The Bamfords have also donated generously to Johnson in other ways. Last summer, the Bamfords hosted and contributed to Johnson's second wedding to Carrie, including the hire of a marquee, portaloos, catering, waiting staff, ice cream van and a South African barbecue, all of which was registered as £23,853. However, our research suggests a wedding of this size, location and specifications would cost around £40,000, nearly twice the declared sum. A spokesman for Boris Johnson told us... This is completely untrue. All of Boris Johnson's interests are properly registered and declared. All registrations are published in the Register of Members' Financial Interests. And before Lord Bamford, there was Lord Brownlow of Sherlock Row. Lord Brownlow gave £60,000 for the refurbishment of the Johnson's Downing Street flat towards the end of 2020. The sum was small by Johnson bailout standards, but the outrage it prompted was large and loud. Look closely at the record, and it's not hard to see why. In the next episode of Boris Johnson, The Six Million Pound Man, we turn to the story of his enablers. This episode was reported by me, Kat Nealon, produced by Matt Russell, with sound design by Carla Patella, the editor was Giles Mattel. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Slow Newscast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you want to get early ad-free access to the remaining two episodes of this series, you can subscribe to our channel on Apple Plus or you can become a member of Tortoise. To do so, visit tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use the code SLOW60 for a special offer today. We will release the remaining two episodes in this feed later on. But in the meantime, if you like what we do, please do follow us or leave us a review or share this episode with your friends. Thank you and I'll see you next week. Tortoise. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.